Okay, so we're in a series called Glorious. There's one more which Rich will be preaching next week. And today, uh, this is less of a preach and more of a reading. Um, You will understand when we get into the material, if you're not familiar with it, we're we're looking at uh, one or two passages or two or three passages in the book of Revelation. And it's really all about the worship. It's all about uh, partaking and participating in the worship of heaven. And so whilst I am going to do a reading and sort of unpack a few things, the better to understand what it is we're looking at, it's, as I said, it's going to be less of a preach and, and more of uh, uh, providing us with a context with which to worship. And so I've asked Sam and the team to give some thought to that, and they've done that. And so uh, in relatively short order, 20, 25 minutes, I guess, I'll be speaking for. Then we'll go back into worship. And hopefully that will uh, seem like an appropriate response uh, to what we're about to, to share in. But in case you're visiting for the first time or have, have been out of the loop for whatever reason for a while, the series on Glori- called Glorious is, is really, uh, in some ways, and I don't want to major on the word, uh, but it is in some ways a corrective. Uh, and it's just simply the case that as we go through life, not just in the church, we tend to kind of emphasize a particular thing, sometimes to the detriment of something that we should not let go of. And so, you know, as I've said already uh, in previous sermons, the the church over the last 20, 30 years has really majored on uh, God with us, and rightly so. That in itself was a corrective. We had, God had become so distant and so remote uh, and so unknowable that we were in a, a, a very poor place. And then in the 80s, by the grace of God, uh, the Holy Spirit began to lead us into the, a season of knowing God better. And we've come into this wonderful place of, of what we now call intimacy in worship, where we can really know his presence. Uh, and that's indeed what, what God intended. What's that was God the Father's... Uh, always was his plan that we, his people, should share in the intimacy that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has. And so that's been wonderful, and we're not abandoning that. Far be it. But the corrective is simply this, that if anything, we have lost sight of God Almighty, El Shaddai. And so we've been majoring the last few weeks on passages, and there are many of them, which give us glimpses into the glory of heaven and the glory of God. And if you haven't uh, been following the series, you may like, as a little bit of uh, background listening or reading even, uh, just go into the podcasts and the videocasts over the last two or three weeks, and that'll give you some background. So that's what we're trying to do here. So if it feels or sounds or seems a bit remote and a bit uh, unknowable and a little bit strange, please understand it's in the context of wanting to know God more, but know him as he would be known, not just as we would like, to know, like him to be known. So that's, that's where we're at. So if you've got a Bible with you, and I hope you have, or a smart device, please turn with me then to Revelation chapter 1, and uh, uh, the, the, the script will come up on the screen, so you can follow it on that if you will. But uh, I just want to give you a little bit of a background here. The book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible in the New Testament, and it is unique in the sense that it is apocalyptic literature. Now, we have been looking at some of the prophetic literature, 
to which this is obviously, as you will shortly see, related. But uh, Old Testament prophetic literature, not only does it have a context, and actually this has a context too, but it speaks about things that are happening and things that are to come in this world, this life. So, for example, we were looking at Ezekiel last week, and, uh, and in that we noted that this prophetic word came to Ezekiel uh, uh, by the rivers of Babylon, five years into the exile, when the, the two remaining tribes of Israel, Judah and Benjamin, had been carried off into Babylon in, in exile. This is all historically, this is fact, this isn't fiction. And, and they were still in a state of shock, really. And there were many questions that were rising theologically. Is God who he says he is? Is there a God? You know, is, is the Babylonian God bigger than our God? All this kind of stuff. And so the prophetic revelation that came through Ezekiel was a corrective to that. It was, yeah, you know, but you're asking the wrong questions. It's not, have I, you know, uh, have I just forgotten you? It's actually, you have driven me away. Your sin has meant... Uh, in spite of my prophetic warnings previously, that I, I have had to judge you. And so, uh, you know, there was a, a whole dialogue that happened there. Now, this passage, this, this piece of apocalyptic literature, this comes, it has a context, in a, in, in a place where the church of Jesus Christ, and by that particularly I mean the church in Jerusalem and the, the seven churches in Asia Minor, the seven major churches, there were many other little churches, but there were seven prominent churches. And they were all undergoing serious persecution. And that persecution came really from about AD 60, you know, 30 years after Jesus died, and the church had been going for about 30 years, and then suddenly we had the Emperor Nero, who many of you know about, and he decided that he would um, persecute Christians, and he did so in a terrible way. He used them as torches, he used them as, as bait in arenas, all the sort of things you hear about and know about. So the church was enduring very significant persecution, and it all hinged on the, the whole issue of emperor worship. Because they would, in Roman culture, they had a, um, a culture of worshipping the emperor. And because they would not worship the emperor, therefore they were persecuted. They were seen as heretics and they were, you know, basically wild animal fodder. So the church was, um, had moved through a period of tolerance into a place of incredible intolerance. And then he was followed up by uh, another emperor who was almost as bad, Domitian, and, and had the same thing. And it was the same old, same old. It was they were refusing to worship the emperor because Jesus is Lord. Amen. Thank you. And that, they said the same thing. And they wanted to be good citizens. They wanted to pay their taxes. They, they weren't known for being criminals or all in there. But, but the fact of the matter was they, the one thing they would not do was worship the emperor. So they were in a time of terrible persecution. And isn't it interesting that it's at that time that this prophetic word comes. This, this, it's into that context when the people of God are beginning to doubt that God is who he says he is, or if he is there, he's just one of the minor deities and who really is the God, you know. And so this prophetic word comes into that situation. But it is unique because it's not speak. In fact, if it says anything about what is to come, it's a, the, the prophetic word says there's going to be more persecution. 
But actually what this prophetic word does, it looks to the future. And not just the future of this world and this time, but the future of all that Jesus is going to do when he comes again. We as Christians, followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is God. He's the Son of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus came as a man. He was born. There was, that's the incarnation, the mystery of God and man becoming one in Christ. We believe that Jesus died upon the cross for the sins of the world. God himself picked up the tab. We believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, an absolutely key and central part of our belief. And we believe that Jesus is coming again, but not as a little carpenter's baby, but as the Lord of all glory. And this speaks of that coming again. What John has here is a prophetic revelation. John himself was, was uh, it probably in a penal colony on Patmos. And uh, so he's, he, he's sharing in the suffering. We'll see that in just a moment. So that's all by way of context. One other thing, and then we'll just read the text, basically. Uh, with this apocalyptic literature, it is important to understand that it is highly symbolic. So it's not to be read at face value. It is to be read as symbolic. There are some major things that are to be taken at face value, i.e., you know, Jesus is coming again. <clears throat> Jesus has come to judge the quick and the dead. Jesus is coming to uh, you know, deal with his enemies and judge the world and, and, and create the new, the new order, the new kingdom. So those things, the, the macro, the major themes are to be grasped, but the micro, we, we shouldn't get caught up on. It's a particular style of literature. The number seven features time and time and time and time again. Uh, there are seven stars, seven churches, seven lampstands, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, tr seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven signs, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven bowls, seven kings. There's 52 sevens, by the way. Seven simply means completeness. Seven is symbolic of things coming together. Seven is the fanfare, fanfare. it's the big ta-ra! It's indicative of a foretelling of the end of all time when God wraps it all up, okay? So hopefully that will help you to understand what will undoubtedly be unfamiliar territory for most of us. And so let's just start reading some of this text. And I will, uh, I'm going to read a fair chunk, but I'm going to stop as I go through, and I hope that doesn't break it up too much, uh, as we go through, because I want to just make one or two points. So, Revelation chapter 1, and we'll begin at... Uh, uh, he will begin at the second part of verse 4. And this is a kind of blessing that John prays for the churches who are going to be receiving this letter. He says this. Let me just pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you just come now? Would you open up your word to us that we might wonder at what is in store, that we might wonder at the glory of God, that we might wonder at the majesty of Jesus, and we might wonder at the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, now. Thank you. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Seven spirits, seven angels, by the way. 
And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, he begins by answering that question. Who reigns? Nero? Domitian? Who is the ruler of the kings of the earth? Jesus. Bang. Right up front. Be in no doubt. Jesus is Lord. Just say that with me. Jesus is Lord. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. There again, the power, the glory is all his. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Now that was, a, that we, we saw that in Daniel. Den preached that. This recurring theme that he is coming back. He's going to come back in glory. We saw it also uh, in the beginning of Luke's gospel where the angels say to the apostles, he's going to come not as, as uh, he's going to come in glory, you know. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. He's coming again. You know, we've... We taught one little series where we, we majored on one little theme, the uh, refrains started to emerge, and it was, let's not put God in a box. And that was some way back a few months ago. Let's not put God in a box. He is not in a box. God is coming in glory. And in verse eight, wonderful affirmation here, and it's Christ himself saying this. He says, I am the alpha and the omega, First and last word, first and last letter in the Greek alphabet, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I love the way that that sort of refers to his resurrection. That passage says he's the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus died on the cross, Jesus rose from the dead. And that's a theme we see in the New Testament as, as the writers reflect upon what has happened. Jesus is the firstborn, not the only one to be, who's going to be born from the, uh, from the dead. We ourselves will pass through death into new life, just as Christ did. And then he gets into the meat of the vision. Uh, and we'll put another passage of scripture up maybe. Um, and we'll look at John 1, beginning at verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Those three things there, the suffering, the kingdom, and patient endurance, those are three major themes throughout the book of Revelation. And they kind of cycle, and, uh, but it ends up with Jesus in glory, judging the quick and the dead, as it said in the old 1662 version. But those three things, you know, the suffering, the kingdom, and patient endurance while this age works its way out, are very key to the message to the church in, uh, as it was then, and who knows, as it is today. So it goes, goes on to say this, verse 10, on the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatera, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven 
golden lampstands. They're representative of the churches that have just been named. And among the lampstands was someone like a, a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. That's priestly attire. Priestly attire. Uh, and, and, and Jesus, th- th- there are a number of kind of roles that Jesus plays in this, in this book, in this revelation. But again, he begins by revealing himself, as it were, as the priest. The priest in, in this kind of culture was the one who went between the people of God and the king of kings, the Lord God of Almighty. So he reveals himself, even though he's come on the cloud, he still comes as one who bears us on his heart and on his hands. He's come and re- he's revealed as a priest. So, and so it goes on. 13, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool. Listen to Dennis's unpacking of this symbolism. That's, that's venerable wisdom. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, all seeing, all knowing. We live and move and have our being in the presence of God. Nothing is hidden from him. He sees. He sees. Then it goes on. Uh, his feet were like bronze glowing in furnace. Bronze, den, tortoise is, is always to do with judgment. You know, there's, there, this is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's coming to judge the quick and the dead. And so it goes on. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. You know, he speaks, and when he speaks... The heavens tremble, the mountains shake, the sea runs away. Again, biblical poetic language. When he speaks, he creates. The word of God severs between, you know, uh, sinew and flesh or bone or something. His face was like the the sun shining in all its brilliance. You know, he is the source of holiness. We bear a reflection of the glory of God. He is the source of that, not just the reflection. And so it goes on. And when I saw him, and this is something that happens time and time again, I fell at his feet as though dead. You see, when when the holy reveals itself to to the unholy, the unrighteous, what happens? We at best fall on our feet, but sin itself becomes unbearable in the presence of the holy. Sin becomes unbearable. So it goes on. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Time and time and time and time and time and time again, when there are angelic or divine uh, revelations to man, the first thing he says is, do not be afraid. He's come as a priest, And he says, do not be afraid. Even though this stuff is enough to give you nightmares if you didn't know better. He says, I am the living one. And there's a little, I think there's a little barb there. I am the living one, he says. Not just that I rose from the dead, but I am the living one compared to all those other gods who are dead gods, stone gods, idols. I am the living one. I'm the one you need to worry about. And you're right to, 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 to hold out and to hold faith and to persevere 
and to suffer and to endure and to be patient in the light of this persecution because these are not gods. And he goes on, he says, I was dead and now I am alive. I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades, hell itself. So that's the first passage. I'm gonna stop there. You can do this yourselves. He then gives the messages uh, to the seven churches, the letters to the seven churches. There's much that we could say about that, but it would be off, off piste, if you were, in the sense that what we're trying to do is, is get a vision, a, a catch a glimpse of God Almighty to marry with this wonderful, intimate picture of the Lord Jesus, the one who is the lover of our souls. So now let's flip on to uh, uh, chapter four, the throne in heaven. Some of this is going to be a little familiar to us if we were here last week because there are certainly resonances of the revelation of Ezekiel. But it goes on like this. It says here, After this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. I want to pause there. If you want an application, you see, this, is, this, is, this in some ways this is more education and revelation. I'm praying for revelation. Education is not enough. I'm praying that you might have a revelation of the glory of God, that you might be able to catch glimpses for yourself of what is being said here. But if you want an application, a to-do, a sort of something to get your hand on and handle on to take away, look at that. After this I saw, and there was a door standing open in heaven. There is a door. And that door is open. And you and I are invited now to come into the presence of God. It's not a swing door or a revolving door that's designed to sort of exclude some and include others. It is open. And in the last letter to the churches, it says, I have, op- I have set a door and I have opened it. And when I opened it, none can shut it. So whoever you are, whether you're very new to this and you're sitting here listening to this and saying, this is giving me the heebie-jeebies. What is this bearded wonder on about? (laughs) Hear this. There is a door that is open and you are invited to enter in. Sure, you've got to deal with your sin. You've You've got to fess up to the stuff in your life. You've got to resolve to... Walk in Jesus' footsteps as best you may. You've got to say to him, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I I had no idea. Lord, please, I'm ashamed of myself, much less what I've done to others. Lord, forgive me. But hear this, now hear this. There is a door in heaven and it is open. And so it goes on. And the voice I had heard first speaking said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Now, uh, uh, there was much more I wanted to share, but I I just so feel that the appropriate response to all of this is is really to worship. Uh, Worship with these images in our minds. So I'm going to read fairly quickly, and and perhaps if I can have the band back up in preparation. Um, I'm going to resist the temptation to unpack every little nuance here. I hope hope you're disappointed, but uh, actually we need to come into the presence of God. 
So he says, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an, an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. The 24 other thrones, biblical scholars disagree on this, but basically they think that's the 12 patriarchs, the 12 tribes of Israel, the old covenant, and the 12 apostles, the new, the new. And seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder in the front of the throne. Seven lamps were blazing, and these are the seven spirits of God. And also in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Interesting because in the design, I mentioned this last week, but in the design of the temple, which many believe was a kind of a a mock-up of heaven itself, there was this thing called the Bronze Sea. I said last week it was all broken up when the, when, when the exile took place and the sold of scrap metal, as it were. But the Bronze Sea was a huge, great kind of thing with water in it. And they called it the sea. And uh, so there's a sense here that in, in, suddenly we, we, saw, we saw the kind of uh, the mock-up in the temple, but now we see the real thing. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in back and front. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth like a flying eagle. We saw these last week, didn't we, in Ezekiel's revelation. And we knew and we, they, they are the cherubs, not the fat, improbable the little creatures with, with diddy wings that you see in kind of Renaissance art, but these are what they really like. And they scared the bejeebas out of me. Whatever bejeebas means. It means pajamas, doesn't it? I'm, I'm not sure, but anyway, whatever. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, and even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before him and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And then I saw, and I'm going into five, beginning at verse six. Then I saw a lamb as if it had been slain. This is the second revelation of Christ. The lamb who was slain. You would think that that ignominious death on that cross at Calvary would be something that the whole of heaven would want to forget. Oh no. These are the very scars, the very wonders, the very medals of heaven, the trophies. So there in the very center of our worship is the lamb that was slain. He still bears the scars. He bears the marks of the thorns. He bears the mark on his side. These are signatures of, of high honor in the heavenly place. The lamb was slain, uh, standing at the center of the throne. He's not dead, he is alive, encircled by the four living creatures. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who had sat on the throne. 
And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Don't ever think that your prayers fall on deaf ears. Every prayer you utter, every prayer you whisper, every prayer you gasp is treasured in heaven. Treasured. Verse 11, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands. I like the old-fashioned word, myriads. Myriads of angels. Myriads of angels. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. And they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is Jesus. This is your Jesus. The lover of your soul. We're going to worship now. Feel free to stand, to kneel, to lie down in the aisles, to sit. Whatever works for you, let's worship the Lamb that was slain.